0: How many of you were cheerleaders growing up? Anybody? Did you recognize that like blades to a bucket right there in that video? Uh, Maybe only the cheerleaders appreciate that. Um, Jeff has officially brainwashed all of my girls against cheerleading and dancing and all of those other things where boys look at you and um, we stick with the safe sports. So uh, I'm excited about this Series that we are going to do and we are blessed women around here to have strong male leadership and I have championed for six years that we have tried to go hard after men because if you reach a man a man you have a 98% chance of changing the family you reach a woman you have a like a 60% chance of impacting the family particularly the kids. But women, um, it is time, I think, um, to have a series that focuses on you and some of your issues and some of your struggles. And men, I promise you, this is going to be to your benefit, okay? So don't just tune me out. I'm going to start by praying a scripture over you because as soon as you say the word woman, the first thing that comes to my mind is a verse that says, don't look to the right and don't look to the left, look straight ahead and listen to the path that I'm calling you in and walk in it. Women, would you agree that our number one problem in life is that as soon as you sat down in the seat, you looked to the girl at the right, saw what she was wearing, looked to the girl on the left, saw who she came in with, and immediately we start comparing ourselves, don't we? immediately. So I want to pray this over you before we start this series, because I don't want you to look right and compare yourself there and look left and compare yourself there. I want you to hear what God says about who you are and hear his voice and walk bravely into that. All right, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we invite you here this morning. God, we continue the worship that was started and ask you to speak to us Thank you for being brave enough to come into this world as a man and to die on the cross for us. And God, I pray that we would walk forward in the freedom that you have called us to. God, that we wouldn't look right, that we wouldn't look left, but we would hear your voice and know this is the way that we are supposed to walk in. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I have never actually been accused of being brave. Um, it all started with my childhood. I had this big sister, and here's what big sisters are good for. We shared a room, and I got the nice bed next to the window, and she had to have the crankety trundle bed, you know, because she was older. She had to sacrifice everything. And so when I was, I don't know, four or five years old, she started telling me stories about the crazy neighbor who was going to probably crawl up into my window and get me in the middle of the night. I think she just wanted the good bed. <laughs> um, And it didn't help that back then, you know, parents didn't coddle their kids back then like we do today. So I think I was maybe seven or eight years old when my parents let me watch Dracula. Y'all remember that? This was like pre-Twilight vampire, okay? He did not have self-control. He did not have your best interest in mind. He did not sparkle in the sun, all right? This guy was out to get you. And so for almost 14 years, I slept with the covers up under my chin. Didn't matter how hot it was, how much I was sweating. I was scared that Dracula was come to get me in the middle of the night. Well, I thought, surely I will grow out of this, or when I get married, I will feel safe and no longer have these fears, except I married the greatest practical joker on earth, all right? We'd go see a scary movie, and he'd crawl out of his side of the bed and around to my side, and like, rah, in the middle of the night. Or when that movie Scream came out, he bought the voice, like Changer, that made him sound like the Scream guy, and he would call me from his cell phone, like on all sides of the house. I see you in the kitchen. Now I see you over here. So it didn't really... Um, help besides the fact he's big and strong and awesome. Um, He likes to scare me to death. Well, I have this problem when I am scared. I don't like to be scared alone, so I pick up the phone and call somebody. And usually it does instead of like facing my fear Jeff was on a trip not long ago. He was in Texas, and I was outside behind our house. If any of you know where we live, we live a mile up a rock road, surrounded by woods, all right? Now, in my right mind, I realized nobody would ever come up there to get you. It's too much trouble. However, when it's dark outside and I'm flipping hamburgers on our back deck, all of a sudden I see this bright light coming through the woods, like a flashlight or something staring right at me. And I, you know, I'm like, that's strange. Nobody's ever out here. It doesn't sound like a four-wheeler. It's not moving. I don't know what the deal is. And then it seemed like the light was getting closer and like stopping and then getting a little bit closer and stopping. So I work myself into a full-on panic. I call Jeff, who's in Texas. I'm like, baby, somebody's in the woods. They're coming to get me. And I'm one of these people. We don't even have the alarm hooked up because I don't want to know if I'm about to get dead. I don't want to know till I'm getting dead that it's going to happen. So he's like, baby, why are you calling me? Call the neighbor. Like, what good am I going to do? Call the neighbor. It's probably their boy. So I call my neighbor. I'm like, Jennifer, your boy's on the four-wheeler. Tell me they're on the four-wheeler because there's this bright light that's getting closer and closer to my house. She's like, calm down. I'll send my husband to check it out. Well... 30 seconds later, they call me, and they are cracking up laughing, and they are like, "Um, Christy, you need to look out your back window. You know, there is this light that God put in the sky every night. It is called the moon, (laughs) and it moves, (laughs) Did y'all know the moon moved? I I didn't know that. It like was in the woods and then I go back outside and it's a full moon in the sky. Well, I have the reputation of being the least brave in our family. I asked my kids this week, I said, do you think mom's ever brave? And they kind of looked at each other like, we don't want to hurt her feelings, but. And then cute little JD, he said, Mom, I know when you're brave. You are brave when you stick your hand down that hole in the sink and get out that gross old food. <laughs> I'm like, Yes, I'm brave. So when we were talking about. Um, Which women from the Bible to pick? Because there are a lot of brave episodes in Scripture. There are women who, like, led a whole army into battle like Joan of Arc. There's one woman, she lured the bad guy into her house. She gave him hot milk, and while he was sleeping, she, wham, stuck a nail through his head. (laughs) that would not be me. I would be hiding under the bed. Um, so for today's conversation, we picked kind of an ordinary everyone's woman from a chapter called Proverbs 31. And we're going to take a look at that. If you have a Bible or you have a smartphone, I'm going to invite you to read through this. This is kind of like everyday bravery. This is a list of what an ordinary woman would look like in her everyday bravery. So Proverbs chapter 31, I invite you to read along with me. In verse 1, it um, tells us who wrote it and where it came from. Um, It is actually written by a man, but it was inspired by God. You're going to see that. And it was taught to him by his mother. It says in verse 1, The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance, meaning that it was God-inspired, not just her idea, that his mother taught him, listen, my son, listen, son of my womb, listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Um, King Lemuel, most people believe, was actually King Solomon. King Solomon, we know, wrote most of Proverbs, and it's not likely that they would throw in another king. In fact, in some historical records, we have found that Lemuel was like a term of endearment. And who gives you a term of endearment like your mother, right? All those names you'd like to forget. I named my son Bubby Boy when he was about six months old, and Jeff's like, baby, you got to drop that one. Can't call him Bubby Boy. So Um, You can just envision this mother who calls her son, who's the world's most famous, wealthiest king, and she's like, come here, bubby boy. All right, son of my womb, I want to remind you, Solomon, that I carried you for 40 weeks. I grew cankles for you. I ate all kinds of weird concoctions, and I got stretch marks for you, Solomon. You want to see them? <laughs> He's like, no, Mom, no, please no. Um, so she's earned the right to speak into his life, and she gives him a warning in the first seven verses, and then she teaches him a poem, kind of like an ABC poem that she expected him to remember. I guess he did because he read it down. So in verse three, um, here comes her warning. She says, do not spend your strength on women. Your vigor on those who ruin kings. Now, I want you to get a correct picture. She is not a bitter old woman with a cigarette and a cup of coffee going, Solomon, women will ruin you. (laughs) Run from all of them. She's not that kind of mother-in-law, like I want you to live with me forever and not with. She says women plural. She didn't say do not spend your strength on a woman. See, when God first created man, he said it's not good for men to be alone, and he gave him a woman to be a companion. So she's not anti-women in general. She just knows that because he is king, he's going to have access to any woman he wants. And because of her past experience, she knows that can lead to trouble. She says next to him in verse 4, It is not for kings, bubby boy, it is not for kings to drink or guzzle wine, lest they... Drink and forget what has been decreed. It's not for rulers to crave beer, lest they deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing and wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Now, I feel like I owe you an explanation since it's Super Bowl night. This is not a license for everybody to go get hammered tonight. Because I'm not a king. I'm a commoner, right? (laughs) Her spirit behind this is this. Solomon, you are royalty, all right? And for all of us who are in Christ, he calls us his priesthood, his holy nation. He says you are an heir to the kingdom. The spirit of royalty as God has called you to share in his kingdom is is this. This is the spirit behind this passage. Solomon, when times get difficult, and they will... I hope that you will not run to a substance that will numb you. I hope that you will run to a Savior who can set you free and redeem you. Solomon, there's a place for that and for drink. But for royalty, when you're in trouble, I hope you'll run to your Savior and not just be numb. Now, before you hear that and you think, yeah, Um, who is this woman? She's the queen and easy for her to say, right? She had everything at her beck and call. I want to introduce you to her so that you understand who she is and where she was coming from when she speaks this warning. It tells us back in um, 1 Kings who she is. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. It says, when Bathsheba, "'Went to King Solomon to speak to him. "'The king stood up to meet her. "'He bowed down to her and sat on his throne, "'and he had a throne brought out for the king's mother, "'and she sat at his right hand, a place of intimacy.'" And honor. Now, whether you grew up in church or you didn't grow up in church, you may not know who this woman is because they don't teach about her in Sunday school. (laughs) Because this woman, Bathsheba, the mother of King Solomon, who writes this poem and makes her son memorize it and says, Solomon, watch out for women, watch out for substance abuse, and then gives him a list of what he is supposed to look for in the one woman that he should cherish. She is not a very virtuous woman. She was known for the greatest national scandal of her day. She was known for sleeping with Solomon's father before they were married, and she gets pregnant, and then she became kind of an accomplice to murder for her husband so that they wouldn't get caught. She bears a child out of that one-night affair, and God takes the life of that child as a consequence to their sin. So we're talking about a woman who has known embarrassment, who has known the pain and regret of mistakes, who has known serious pain and consequence of her sin. When she says, Solomon, watch out for women, she, I was, she was that woman, all right, that she's worn When she says, watch out for numbing yourself against pain, I'm sure she wanted to do that or maybe did that for a while. But the beginning tells us that Solomon was the son of her prayers. So at some point, She turned from numbing to prayer, and she has this son, and she teaches us one of the greatest life lessons about the gospel and who we are in Christ and who our God is. And it's this, that when you are in Christ, your past mistakes no longer serve as an indictment over you. They become your inspiration to your greatest life lessons that you have to pass on. See, your past mistakes, they no longer condemn you like a curse hanging over you. You get to invite your kids in. They cultivate your greatest teaching. You invite your kids into your mistakes at the appropriate time. He was king, so he was older. And she uses it to say, Solomon, I know what these mistakes cost me, and I don't want them to cost you. Isn't that awesome about our God that he doesn't just condemn us? The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is the gospel. That is grace, that when he sees us, he no longer sees those mistakes. He sees an opportunity for us to instruct and teach and help others so she goes on with this there's 22 verses and we're going to read them real quick together and each verse is a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet it's kind of like the A says ah the B says but you know she she sets it up that way so he'll remember and I think for all of you guys who are young and are going to be dating soon or you are dating it's like I want you to remember this list so when a hot babe walks by you don't just follow her because she looks great you run over this list in your mind and start checking off. Is she that? Is she that? Is she? All right. So we're going to look at this list. Proverbs 31 in um, verse 10, it starts with this, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. And I can just envision Solomon saying, mom, what can be better than a hot babe? And he's like, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Let me tell you. Her husband has full confidence in her solomon when you get infatuated ask yourself the question are you going to have full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value she brings him good and not harm all the days of her life pre-botox and post-botox she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands this woman doesn't just have a pinterest account she actually creates some of those insane things that she sees She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. I like to think Marcos and Chick-fil-A count as from afar. She gets up while it is still night, and she provides food for her family. I did this once. Last week, actually, um, I have a daughter who swims three mornings a week at 5 a.m., and our deal is this. We will fully support you, but we will not wake you up, all right? You come and wake us up, and Jeff and I play rock, paper, scissors in our sleep for who's going to take her, Okay. <laughs> I don't know what happened this week, but I think another child played a joke on me, and my alarm went off at 4.30 in the morning, and I just popped, like, wide awake. That never happens. So I popped up, and I'm in there. I'm making her breakfast. I'm making her lunch, and she comes down, and she's like, Mom. I mean, 15-year-olds never say this. Mom, thank you so much. You just touch my heart that you are awake at this hour, and I thought, I'm going to have to do this again. Um, I don't like to get up early. So this woman, she is up before anybody else. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. Guys, I like to just point out that she had servants, plural, with an S, okay? Jeff says those are our kids with an S. Um, She considers a field and buys it, and with her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So now she is a businesswoman and an organic farmer. She sets about her work vigorously, and her arms are strong for the task. She goes to CrossFit. She sees that her trading is profitable. She keeps a budget, and her lamp does not go out at night. So she is up before everyone, and she stays up later than everyone. She's the last one to bed. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. This is like she is making her own material. She doesn't, she's the original farm-to-table girl. She doesn't buy anything in a package. She's creating it herself. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hand to the needy. She has enough for her house and enough to share. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She's prepared ahead. She makes coverings for her bed, and she is clothed in fine linen and purple. I'm just going to be honest with you. If my bed is made and I am dressed, the kids think we're having company, okay? To me, this was my mother's generation. They made their bed every day. They got up and got dressed, even though they were going nowhere. They were up and dressed. I have not been able to pull that off successfully. Um, She, verse 23 says, her husband is respected in the city gate. While she's busy doing all these things, she never once complains or grumbles about him. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. Now she has a shop on Etsy. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. While she's cleaning her house and doing the laundry, she's laughing about it. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Apparently, she doesn't eat carbs. Her children arise and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. Now, I don't know about you, but my children arise, and they call me pancakes. We want them now. (laughs) I read you this list. Um, And it culminates in this verse, verse 29. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. In other words, the gist of it is, I am basically wanting you, Solomon, to be enthralled with the the female race in general. But that one woman that you commit your life to, that you find that is all of these things, you're to cherish her above everyone else. All right? Now, ladies... I just have to be honest with you, when we talked about this series and this chapter was raised and it was stamped on the logo, I kind of had a fit because I don't like this chapter. I don't like this woman. I read this passage and I'm exhausted just from reading it, much less trying to remember it or do it. When I read this list, I basically feel like I'm looking right, I'm looking left, I can't do that, I am not enough. And I remember being in my 20s and being very idealistic and wanting to be this Proverbs 31 woman. And then in my 30s, after three kids, I remember literally telling Jeff, you know what, we're going for Proverbs 32. That means you can pick one out of this list, okay? You can either have food, or you can have clean clothes, or the bed made, or the kids alive tomorrow. And if you pick the kids alive tomorrow, and I hope you do, then that means the house is going to be a wreck, the laundry will not be done, and I will probably look like a fat slob when you come home. It exhausted me. And it is meant to overwhelm you, and here is why. It is meant to bring you to a place where you feel like I am not enough and I could never be all of that so that you would be willing to exchange you're not enough for God's enough. See, this woman, she doesn't actually exist. If she did, this would be her name. Her name would be Jesus. Now, I do believe that at creation, God did create us with all of these things and all of these gifts, but after the fall, after the apple, (laughs) practically speaking, in this fallen world, don't wear yourself out. You will never be all 22, of these things at one time on the same day, all right? It doesn't mean it's not something to shoot for. Guys, it's not, it doesn't mean it's not something to honor your wife for attempting some of these, but you need to be set free that this side of heaven, you will never be all of these things. But here's what I want to say to you. This chapter is intended to bring us to a place, remember who wrote it, Bathsheba wrote it, okay? She was not these 22 things, Far from it, all right? She was an adulteress. She took a bath naked on her roof. I don't know if she was asking for it or not. We don't know. She didn't send a warning to her husband when David was having him killed, okay? And she was very quick to move into the palace. We don't know the whole story. But she was not these 22 things. And yet she writes this because I believe she had an encounter with God where she learned to exchange her not enough. For God's enough. And that is what we call the gospel. That is what we call grace, where we come to him and take a a brave step to admit, God, I can never do this on my own. And here's what he says he will do for us. Second Corinthians 521 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of. Of God. What this means is not that we become some of the righteousness of God, but when we exchange our sin for God's righteousness through his son, it's not part of it, it's all of it. And someday, for those of us who have chosen to make Jesus the leader and forgiver of our lives, when we are in heaven for eternity, guess what? This will get you excited. We are going to be that woman Completely, and guess what? It will be effortless. I don't know about you, but I just saw a bunch of you go, "Ah, I'm gonna get there someday. You will be that God put all of this in you, but in our fallen world, practically speaking, you are not able to do it. But positionally, when you receive the gospel to save you, you become. This woman, when God looks at you, he sees you as the Proverbs 31 woman, and he can see down through time into eternity when you are going to be her without any effort. Is there anything that you do that doesn't take effort? You single moms who cook and clean, and you're the businesswoman, and you're the mom and the dad. You women who are raising kids and babies, and you're up all night, or you're raising kids while your husband is deployed. I mean, nothing we do feels effortless, does it? It's set up that way so that we would be willing to exchange our not enough for his enough. And that's what we talk about around here when we say, hey, you have an offer and you have the same offer today to accept his righteousness. It gets credited to you just because you believe he can do it. There was a woman in the Old Testament, her name was Sarah, and in the Old Testament, she was a rotten wife, she was a rotten mother, she couldn't even have kids, and she was terrible to her servants, and in the New Testament, she's remembered as this princess, this great woman of faith. In the Old Testament, God came and said, I'm going to give you a child, even though you've already been through menopause, and she laughs, and then she lies about it. God says, why are you laughing? And she's like, I didn't laugh. I mean, she laughs at God. She lies at God. And then in the New Testament, after grace and the gospel, she is remembered as this Proverbs 31 woman, not because she ever accomplished that list, but because that was credited to her, because the work that Christ did on the cross was complete for her. Now, I realize that sounds like a pretty good deal. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like it would take a lot of bravery just to admit, whew, I am not enough. I would exchange that for God's enough readily. I want to be this woman for eternity. I want it to be effortless. Where I'm going to invite you to go in these last five minutes um, is a place that is going to be difficult for you to go, but a place that I feel that we are called as women, okay? So I don't want you to look right. I don't want you to look left. I want you to look right ahead. The gospel is given to us not just to save us like, whew, we're off the hook. I get to be that woman. The gospel is given to us to live out practically every day, meaning that in the same way God extended grace to us, it says while we were sinners, he saved us, he died for us, while we were not doing any of that list. While we were Bathsheba, he died for us. And then he calls us as his follower to take that same grace and turn around and extend it In our relationships. Now, I don't know what that relationship is for you, but for me, it is primarily with my husband, all right? I don't know about you, but when I got married, I had these unspoken expectations that I just assumed he would be the provider and the protector and he'd be my everything and he'd take the trash out every time I even thought about it without saying it and all of these things that I mentally hold over him. And what God is asking us to do as Proverbs 31 women this side of the fall is to take the grace that we have received and then turn around and apply that to our human relationships. See, marriage, he says, is supposed to be a metaphor of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yes, he's supposed to do it for you too, but this is a women's series. So I'm inviting you women to walk bravely first, because Ephesians 5 also says you must respect your husband. Now, in our world, we agree that love should be unconditional, but respect, but he ought to do something to earn that, right? We'd all say he should love us unconditionally. But here's what a Proverbs 31 woman does. Verse 30 says that charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord should be praised. I've struggled with that word fear for a long time because I am fearful. And I'm like, that doesn't seem like a good thing. And so I did some research, and a woman who has this whole Proverbs 31 ministry, I'm like, if anybody knows what it means, she ought to know. She named her whole ministry after it, Lisa Turkhurst. She says that fearing God really, if you broke that word down, means that you have the ability to see the hand of God at work in everything. So here's what it means in our relationships, that when it comes to your husband or your mother-in-law or whoever it is, that you don't love and respect and extend grace when they deserve it. Just like God didn't love and extend grace when we completed that list. You love and respect Because if you fear God, you can see a glimpse of the hand of God at work in him. And if you see a glimpse of the hand of God at work, or if you even believe that it is possible someday for the hand of God to be at work in them, then we take that grace that we've received and we extend it there and while They aren't meeting every expectation you thought that they should meet. You you love and give grace just like it was given to you. Here's what it looks like. Some of you military wives, and I don't even pretend to know your sacrifice, but many of you have sent a husband away while you're giving birth and raising kids, and he comes back, and because of what he's been through, he's not the same person that you sent away. It means that... You fear God enough to accept a glimpse of the hand of God at work in him, and you stay in there until God completes that. And you respect him whether he practically deserves it or not. Because remember, God positionally gave you credit when you practically didn't deserve it. You moms and wives that are in your 20s, this is what it means. It means the man you're with right now, he's going to be different in his 40s and 50s. I want to give you hope, but it's a process, all right? If I had run for the hills at 25, I would have never known that he was going to be this man in his 40s. It's a process of trusting that the glimpse I see of the hand of God at work is enough for me to fear God and to trust that he can do the impossible, and it's enough for me to extend. Some of us need to have a meeting with God. In a few minutes, we're going to sing about God's love, and some of you in that time, you need to receive it for yourself because you can never give this away, not long-term, unless you've received it. Some of us, we need to have a meeting with God, and we just need to release that man from the expectations that we hold over him. Some of the things that we think that he should be for us are things really that God should be for us and that only God can be this side of heaven. And in the same way you felt relief when I said you are that woman and it's going to be effortless someday and you wanna rec- we want to receive that, like bring it on, right? We're supposed to take that And apply it. And that's what I'm calling you to be brave about. Because I know you're thinking, Christy, if I extend that, they'll never change. I mean, if I respect him for the way he is today, what if he never changes? Or what if he thinks that's okay? That is where God is calling us to be brave. To do exactly what he did for us. That while we were sinners, he sent his son to die for us. And he credited to us all of his righteousness. He credits that whole Proverbs 31 list, that we will never be this side of heaven because of what his son accomplished on the cross. So the question becomes, do we believe that his enough is enough for our not enough? It's not too hard for us. The hard question is, do we believe that his enough is enough for they're not enough and what we think we deserve. I'm going to invite you to pray with me and ask you to do one of two things as we close in this awesome song about God's love, that you would either, one, in your seat, have a meeting with God where you say, God, and you name it, I am releasing that man or my ex-husband or my mother-in-law or whoever it is, I'm releasing them of these expectations. Because of what you did, I'm going to extend the gospel in my relationships to other people. Or two, maybe for the very first time, you say, God, that's the best offer I've ever heard that I cannot be enough and you can be enough to cover up for me. That's I will take that offer and in my seat right now, I am proclaiming that you are the leader and forgiver of my life. God, here's my not enough. Will you be enough for me? If you make one of those decisions and you want help in your next step, there's a little card in the seat in front of you that you can just check. I'm ready to make Jesus the leader and forgiver of my life. And simply here's what we do. We contact you and we help send you some information to just help you take that next step and understand what it is that you're feeling in this moment. Heavenly Father, I pray that now you would send your spirit into this room and that you would enable us to Drop the things that blind us, the comparisons that we struggle against, God, and that we would see in this moment an offer, an extension of your hand offering us grace, crediting us this list of this Proverbs 31 woman. And God, I pray for women who have never received that, that in these next few moments, they would cry out to you in in their hearts and ask you to be their leader and their forgiver. God, for those of us who have received it and we've held on very selfishly to it, God, make us brave enough to open our hand and to give it away, even in the places we feel like it is not deserved, and to trust that your hand is at work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.